this week on Dig Me Out. Jay, we're back again with another episode. Thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. Jay, this week is a second chance episode. This is one where we're, we're going to try this out every once in a while. We have polls, Jay. You might know this. We Over do. at at Patreon. I know a little bit about this. You know be a little bit about them. And we have our patrons vote. We pick eight or nine records, stick them in the poll. They pick one of the records. They've all been su- suggested through our website at digmeoutpodcast.com. And they get a fresh batch every month. Sometimes these polls are not close. Sometimes, you know, one gets out of the eight or nine, they get the most votes, and it's pretty clear. Sometimes, however... They're real close. Like one vote separates them. So we had an open spot, which we kind of we tend to do at the end of the year after everybody gets to pick their patron. All the patrons get to pick their selections throughout the year. Sometimes we end up with one or two open slots towards the end of the year to schedule in uh, what we whatever we want to do. And I thought it'd be fun to go back to one of our previous polls that was just decided by just the hair of its chinny chin chin. And I found one. It was way back in uh, July. Now, if you remember, it lost by one vote. Cure for Pain by Morphine was the winner. And the second place runner-up was Retreat from the Sun by That Dog. One vote separated them. So I said, you know what? Since both of these records got a lot of votes, why why don't we dig this one out? And uh, and see what it's all about, because I'll be honest, I only knew maybe like one single from the band, which is from this record, but I didn't really know anything else by that dog. How about you? Were you familiar with that dog? Um, I remember the album cover from the time. In this, I feel like this record's come up in the periphery of us doing this show mm-hmm. more than once. This isn't the first time. Um, so that's really about it. Just kind of aware of the name, where the album cover, and then I it just seemed well regarded, at least you know, in terms of our listeners. That's about it. Yeah, I, I don't know I that know I ever this, heard them. Has this, I think, maybe one of their earlier records, which is uh, totally crushed out, that might have been in a poll before. I'm not sure, I'd have to look back at the uh. Or it's that's their second record. Oh. Uh, so let's actually let's do a little history because this is a band that we're not you know all that familiar with. History of the band. Bands from Los Angeles, California. Four members. Uh, f- it was a um, pair of sisters: uh, Rachel Hayden on bass, guitar, and vocals and her sister Petra Hayden on violins and vocals, and then lead singer and guitarist Anna Wanaker 
and and uh, Tony Maxwell on drums. Now, Anna Wanaker is the brother of Joey Wanaker, the drummer and son of or excuse me, daughter of Lenny Wanaker, the record industry giant who had been with um, uh, DreamWorks and and Warner Brothers. And he was a producer. And then Joey has played with back in R.E.M. and a bunch of different artists. Uh, Anna Warnaker is married to Steve McDonald from Red Cross. And uh, the band formed in 92 was originally um, just uh, Anna and her friend uh, Jenny Connor were writing songs, little punk rock songs in high school. And um, or just actually, actually, I guess it was just out of high school. But she turned to her friends Petra and Rachel, who were high school friends, and they started playing together, and then they got Tony Maxwell to start playing drums, and they did um, some seven-inch singles to start out that they recorded um, for a label called Magnetone, and then another one called uh, Guernica. And then finally ended up getting signed by DGC to release their debut album, That Dog. And then... Um, DGC put out the following two records, uh, Totally Crushed Out in 1995, and then the one we're checking out, Retreat from the Sun in 1997. At the end of 97, the band broke up, or they, I guess, went on hiatus, and then they reformed in 2011 to uh, play some shows. Specifically, they played at the Troubadour in Los Angeles, and what was fun is that the opener was Tenacious D, and then a Prince cover band that was led by Maya Rudolph because they were friendly with Maya who had been in the rentals and Petra and Rachel ended up joining the rentals after Maya Rudolph left back when the rentals were sort of restarted in the two thousands. And then they put out a new record in 2019 called old LP. And well, there's a little bit of trivia about this record Originally, this was going to be Anna Warnocker's first solo album, but the label said that they wanted her to put it out under the band's name. So the songs that she had written for what was going to be her debut solo record didn't turned into this album. And then she ended up putting out her debut solo album um, in 2000. Uh, yeah, 2002, just self-titled Anna. She's worked with um, she's one of those folks that have worked with uh, a lot of uh, TV and movies. She's written um, music for she did for the Josie and the Pussycats and um, for Dawson's Creek. And as well as the Hayden sisters have also recorded with a variety of other bands. Um, I think at one point they were one of them was members of the Decemberists. And then the drummer, Tony Maxwell, uh, also went on to do like music scores. So this was a very like talented band musically that was able to continue on in other aspects um, after the band separated. They also what's interesting is a bunch of songs that they co-wrote with other bands like Beck and Weezer ended up as B-sides for those bands. So like there's a a Weezer B-side called I Just Threw Out The Love of My Dreams that came out around the time of the the blue album i think it was between the blue album and the pickerton album and it's a well-regarded b-side from the band 
there was a lot of good b-sides from the weezers at the time and um uh the hayden sisters and and anna wanaker are involved with that uh, recording and they also appear on uh mike watts album ball hog or tugboat which came out in the uh in uh, 1994, I don't know if you remember that record, Jay. I, we got to get to that record at some point. That's a pretty epic uh, 90s album, if you recall. So. I remember it was a thing. Yeah. Well, because Eddie Vedder is on it. That's why it's a big deal. Yeah. Um, we did get some comments, Jay, over at Patreon. People were uh, happy they were finally getting around to this record. David Gorgo said, one of the greatest overlooked bands of the 90s. I prefer the sloppier first album, but this one is more cohesive and should have propelled them into stardom. Kyle Bittner said, this is a fantastic and timeless sounding album that could have been recorded last week. A definite influence on some of the best pop rock artists today, mentioning Bully, Charlie Bliss, and Best Coast. Andrew O.C. said, I discovered them while doing my research for the July poll. Revisited many times this summer, really great layers of vocals and solid hooks. Discovering gems like this is what this union is all about. That's right, Andrew. Uh, Justin Wexler says, criminally underrated album by an excellent band, yet another should have been huge band. I enjoy the entire catalog, including the recent album, Old LP, but this was definitely their peak. John Seaman said, this is my favorite album by that dog. I remember reading that it was supposed to be Anna Wanaker's solo album, correct, but was talked into making it a That Dog album. Great songs, great harmonies, cool guitar stuff that I think is an open tuning. Hmm, interesting. Darren Leach says, never heard of these guys, but I like what I hear. The guitar sound takes me back to the 90s in a good way. If you like this band, check out the Aussie, an Aussie band called Clouds, in particular their debut album, Penny Century. Jay, I think that's come up in a poll once. Twice. Twice. Ah. I, and then Steve Musitsky responded, I sought out that album when it first got put up for a poll, and I absolutely love it, speaking of clouds. And then he also said, someone gave me a crate of CDs around 2006 or so, and this was in it. I spun it once and shrugged it off. I was heavily into melodic hardcore at the time, so I didn't quite hold my interest. I've since revisited it a good half dozen times or so, which was actually sparked by their name being dropped in the podcast multiple times. It gets better with each listen. I, can, I can't I can say the same about their other older albums, however. Okay. So this album came out in uh, April of 1997, as I mentioned on DGC. It has one of the Lord Algae brothers, Jay. He, Chris Lord Algae. He uh, he mixed the single Never Say Never. Brad Wood is the producer on this record. There's a special guest on this record. Charlotte Caffey of the Go-Go's plays rhythm guitar on the, on the song Minneapolis, and she plays synthesizer on the single Never Say Never. And then cool. um, there's a third Hayden sister. They're actually triplets. Uh, Tanya Hayden plays cello on never say never and then also on every time i try and until the day i die those two rhyme interesting little nugget on the original submission of this album mm-hmm. it was brian collin uh, was a listener who suggested and the 
um, in the field where you write uh, why why we should review it. He uh, linked to Weezerpedia.com and the entry. <laughs> uh, apparently, Weezer has their own Wikipedia site. Yeah. And this album is is part of that site. Um, and the entry gives a lot of what you talked about. One, one of the little tidbits in here was that uh, the sudden and rapid success of Friends and Label Mates Weezer left the band a bit bitter. Oh, so interesting. Interesting little wrinkle in the DGC family and maybe what led to her um, deciding to break out and maybe do a solo record. Interesting. But I was today years old that I learned that there's a Weezerpedia. <laughs> yeah, Jay, don't you know every band has a pedia? There's a toolpedia probably and a I'm trying to think of a a band that rhymes with pedia. Fishpedia. A fishpedia. Yeah, exactly. So Jay, tell me one thing you liked about Retreat from the Sun by that dog. This record was full of little surprises. Uh, I assumed going in, I was going to hear pop, rock, maybe a little bit like punky. Um, just based on what I heard, you know, about the band, people talking about it, the album cover, those sorts of things. But you pretty quickly realize um, there's a whole lot more going on here. So, Yes, the songs were are generally, you know, pop oriented, you know, format. Um, but they bring a lot of really interesting twists and turns to it. So whether it be just the presentation, so one would be like the dynamics they use on the record are, are pretty cool. Uh vocals are very upfront, you know, so it's all about the voice and then you pretty quickly hear the harmonies, which sound amazing. Lots of great melodies. <clears throat> but the guitars are often pulled back. So it creates this really cool kind of sound that is, it sounds very real. It sounds like a band. It sounds like immediate and kind of classic, but not overly... It's subtle. It's not like overly in your face hitting you with the guitars. Mm -hmm. um, I think which is it, it. It made me want to spend more time with the record, if that makes sense. Like because in that, then you get like synthesizers that pop. You get all kinds of cool vo vocal stuff going on that I mentioned. You get really cool interplay between this the violin, which was a unexpected element I didn't expect to hear on this record. Yeah. Um, interplaying with those guitars you've yeah you've got guitars that are um yeah either open tuned and or just have a dissonance to them that's subtle you know as you kind of absorb the song it's very easy to kind of get it's not very abrasive but as you go deeper you're like oh wow that guitar part is really cool or like the way it's playing off of that violin the two notes are creating this tension behind the music that isn't in your face, but it's there. If you, you know, on your first or second listen, you will start to pick up on it. And it just gives it this 
unique kind of feel. Mm-hmm. It's almost um, it's almost like a chamber pop record that is from a rock band. Like it doesn't get super indulgent with lots of like. I mean, there's piano. It doesn't get super overboard with like, you know, those traditional instruments. It has enough guitar in it that it, you know, keeps it raw and keeps it rocky. But like I said, there's always just these cool twists and turns um, that come from the other instrumentation. And it's not like, it doesn't feel gimmicky. Somehow they are able to make like those, the analog synth that you mentioned that comes in um, and never say never, it like blends in with the guitar in a way that just gives it this big fuzzy sound. It's not like a, a hokey kind of, Oh, they added, you know, somebody got a Moog and they a mini Moog and they added it to the song. Like it, right. it, it all fits in really well, which is not always easy to do, especially when you're talking about like cello and violin and fuzzy guitar tones and then like straight up pop, songwriting you would think it would not come together as cohesively it does as it does but it it does and it it sounds um unique and like authentic Mm -hmm. it doesn't sound like sometimes when we review records and you know they play with other play with non-traditional rock instruments you know bringing into this into the songs and it feels a little like forced and this does not feel that way at all. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's to go back to, you know, the biggest thing is it's just unexpected and unique in a, but also very familiar, (laughs) like in that, you know, it's using this core that you can just grab onto right away and it's super hooky and melodic but yeah, as you, as you spend time with it and you, you know, are pulled in by those hooks, all, you get all these little surprises and twists and turns um, all along the way that, that just make it, I, I think it starts to explain to me why it has such a cult following, you know, it just, yeah. it's a kind of record that you can, you can tell it will just keep giving you more and more the more you listen to it. Yeah, I agree with you. The deceptive uh, nature of this record is that you can just put it on and it's a, it's a good power pop record in a lot of ways. But then when you put it, the headphones on and you start listening to all the little things that are happening, it's really, really, it, it really sounds like a band that had taken their time after, you know, several years in records to, to put something together that was special um this doesn't sound like the the debut album from a band like this sounds like they they got their stuff together and really put it all into this record uh 
because it shouldn't work that like I never say never you have like you said you have this fuzzed out uh synth and then there's violin in parts of it which those things should not work in a three minute pop song but yet they pull them off perfectly and it actually made me think about you know there's the comparison to Weezer if you think about Weezer and Buddy Holly that synth is so blatant and so I mean it's not it's not on the rest of the record like that on on the blue album um but and it sticks out in, in a way that I don't know that that song like I want to revisit that song that much anymore the way that I do with other Weezer songs from that era. Yeah. But um, when people were mentioning bands like uh, Charlie Bliss and and Bully, um, you know, modern bands that and even, even like Speedy Ortiz and and such, um, I can totally hear the influence of this band taking these power pop songs but just adding a little twist to them and and hearing that influence carry forward because there's just there's a real sense of confidence and swagger with these songs just in terms of you know coming up with interesting little licks here there's a there's chord progressions that are a little trickier than they sound um and i think that has to do with the tuning Cause it's, yeah. you go, oh, that's just like a three chord, you know, progression. But then when you actually listen to what they're playing, they're like, wow, that's, those are weird chords. Like, what yeah. is it? What are those? What's that phrasing that they're using? I think um, Anna Wanaker as a vocalist and as a well, first as a vocalist, I, she's just got like a perfect pop vocal. Um, and I, you know, I made me think back. There was not a ton of vocalists that went as far as female vocalists that went in this direction. I mean, if you think about it, like '97, that's sort of the era of like the singer-songwriter vocalist. Um, the only thing I could compare it to was like, you know, uh, Kay Hanley from Letters to Cleo or, or Vruca Salt. Um, I was really, really the only ones of that era that I, that I, I, I heard a, a similar sort of sound. Um, you know, we reviewed Tuscadero way, way back, but that was much more, I don't want to say like rickety. <laughs> I don't know yeah. how to put it. Yeah. It didn't have the same oomph that this band 
does. Yeah. Now we only reviewed one record. Maybe that changed. Um, but this band, I think what I like is that I hear like the red cross influence of this band. I mean, this band is like sort of like red cross makes the go-go's in some ways. Or, or Red Cross, you know, the, the meat of the Red Cross guitars with the bangles or something. Um, but Petra Hayden as not just a vocalist, but as a lyricist is so interesting. She's able to do story songs that aren't these long drown out stories. They just work as little time capsules or little, little, um, you know, scenes from her life, if they're even true. Like songs like Minneapolis or, or Long Island um they're just they're interesting uh just little vignettes and um i yeah. I, th- I think that the whole package of a band wouldn't work if you didn't have someone that's that confident as a singer and a and a lyricist and she pushes the envelope i mean you take a song like gang gagged and tied i mean that is a that's not a, a song that a lot of people can get away with i'd like to take you going that direction. yeah it, there were moments where i got little shades of um liz fair mm-hmm. like either lyrically like a song like that or even just little vocal bits here and there but yeah i've always felt like hot take like musically at least from an album standpoint like i never really could connect completely with what she did. Right. Because it was a little bit of like a, a flatness. I don't know. This just has a competent. Yeah. This has a competence and dynamic to it. Right. That, that I want from like, it has that very cool, like confident delivery. Yeah. And it touches on, like you said, like these little vignettes or stories that are interesting and a little bit edgy or sentimental um you know they they feel very real but there's a level of the musicianship here that's just enough that takes it to this other place that i can really spend time with and it sounds Mm -hmm. big and full without sounding overproduced and it sounds very competent without sounding like lifeless you know it's not it just hits this really interesting place um it sounds very alive and very real but also very well crafted yeah and you know there are bands that try to do this sound 
who never approach a single as good as Never Say Never. And it stinks that this came out in 97, because if this came out in 94, that's as big as Buddy Holly or, you know, that power pop punk sound that was big in in the earlier half of the decade as opposed to you know this is a great record but it's just out of tune with 97 i think at this point because it's so it it lacks the quirkiness that was necessary to score a hit or you know you had to have some sort of you you had to have a hook but you also had to have that like we've talked about there had to be something odd about your hook uh, well, like uh, a song that came out around the same time that reminds me of Never Say Never when it kicks in is Blur Song 2. Mm-hmm. And that has that, the woohoo thing. Yeah. Right. It's like incredibly stupid, but that's the kind of stuff that made hits in the late 90s. They were trying to write uh, an American rock song. Right. They wrote that. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You know, uh, they knew what they're doing. They're really smart, but it's mm-hmm. also very stupid in comparison. Yeah. Um, so I can just see this. It's just, to your point, I think early 90s, it makes a ton of sense because I think we were just, things that were a little bit more sophisticated got through onto yeah. the radio at that time. And, and that, and then it just got dumb in the second half of the, of the decade. And this was just, I think, a little too smart. It just—it was a lot of throwing anything at the radio and seeing what what uh, stations would play as their single of the week, and you know, not that they were all bad. I mean, like for example, we we revisited that fastball record that, but that that single is unusual. It's yeah. got it. It's got that mariachi, you know, yeah. beat, and it's just a. It's a. It's quirky, so that made sense for the latter half of the nineties. Whereas there was a, there was a kitsch element to that. Yes. Exactly. A lot of hits at that time too, that, that fit in with. Exactly. So is there anything that doesn't work for you on the record? Um, not on the surface. I mean, I feel like sure there would be some times where I would love for the guitars to be a little bit more aggressive. I mean, but I, but I'm also thinking, if, as I spend more time with the record and like you said, like it sounds pretty different on headphones than it does in speakers, at least for me, it did. And I think with headphones, I'm hearing a lot more of the guitar. Um, so I think the more time I spend with it, like it'll, I'll, I'll pull back those layers and, you know, continue to get that kind of edge that I'm looking for. But maybe just a little bit here and there, or, or vocally even. Just she's so like the vocals are so even keel, you know. They're yeah. so cool all the time that just hearing a little bit more of like emotion crack through um, might be nice. But yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm really picking um, around trying to find something wrong with this. Yeah, there there are no cracks. I mean, this is a 13-song record, but it's not that long. It's only, what, 40 minutes? 40-something minutes? I mean, it's it's a it's a tight record. Every song is 
pretty much in the three minute ranges. I think the first and the first and the last song, and then a track eight. Every time I try, the only songs that go but four minutes, and everything else is, you know, three seventeen, three eighteen, three forty, three fifty. There's a couple of two minute songs. Um, yeah, I agree with you. The only thing that that I missed was just I I wanted like that one bust loose you know maybe the the voice gets a little bit ragged and you just rock out for two minutes on like almost a a, a noisy punk song or something like that just because i i know that she's capable of that you could hear like just let the let the um guard down for a a, a minute or so and and let it rip yeah. um but otherwise i mean there's a nice diversity of tracks there's there's not a lot to, to criticize on this record. Um, it just, and it doesn't sound dated at all. Like no. it's so clean. And like you said, it has a great band feel. So there's, there's no, so like, many pop records that would be so much better if they were produced like this. Yeah. Like yeah, it, thanks Brad Wood. The hooks come through like it, that all works, but it just because, it just has a a real sense to it, you know. It's all performed, but it's it's crisp and sharp and everything. But it just has a life to it that makes it just feel timeless, you know. Yeah. It, and it and it just brings an energy to it that, you know, these songs could have been performed with you know drum machines and loops and all kinds of '90s esque stuff. Um, but they weren't. And I think it's more, it's a blueprint that I wish, you know, more pop oriented rock bands would, would follow. So, I, I mean, we mentioned this album came out in 97. It made it to number 31 on the U S heat seekers album chart. Uh, so it really didn't make a dent uh, outside of like college radio. I think the video for never say never got some play. Cause I did revisit that. And I remembered that video. Um, it has like a color scheme. That's very specific. I don't know how else to describe it. Like it's, it's, it's like a doctor's office and, and um, Anna Wanaker is like lying on the couch, like at a psychiatrist's office, but like all the colors that everybody's wearing are very like, like these, um, I don't know. Remind, remind me of like colors that they would, the people would wear on the Brady bunch. It's just these like mm. very, yeah, very vibrant. Yeah. Bright, yeah. Little kitschy, like yes, exactly. 70s. They're playing, yeah, even like uh the drummers playing Ludwig, those orange Ludwig kit that like John Bonham played, like the see-through acrylic. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. So in terms of uh you know why it didn't do better i mean i just think it's it was timing unfortunately with this record but hopefully people will have a chance to discover it now uh we might have given it away away already but our our ratings for this record will reveal the patreon poll in a moment but jay were the album better ep or decent single what do you say it's easily a worthy album and i would even say you know, it's um, we've done worthy albums in the past where I'll go back and listen to it and sort of 
you know, favorite it or add it to my library. But this is one where I'm genuinely intrigued to spend more time with this band's entire catalog. Um, you know, so I've already listened to the new, the record that came out what, a few years ago, which sounded great. I mean, it's right in the vein of this. Um, I'm, I'm anxious to go back and, and listen to the earlier records before this. Um, so I, th- I think it's a worthy album and it's also a, a probably a good intro, you know, to a, to a catalog of music here that I'm expecting to uh, enjoy quite a bit and even look up what, you know, like you mentioned, these folks have all done different things. Um, so even digging in some more uh, to where else they've contributed. Um, so yeah, I- I'm, I'm fully on board with this. Yeah, I'd also be curious to check out Anna Warnocker's solo album that came out a few years after this, just right. to see like if she took it in a different direction or it might include in what this record was going to sound like if it had not been a, a band album. But I'm right with you. This is a, such a worthy record, and um, I definitely want to check out some of the other stuff down the road that they that they worked on, especially the newer record, because I know that that got a lot of praise when it came out. Um, and we're pretty much lined up with the folks at Patreon. 92% said Worthy Album. 8% said Better EP. They didn't leave any comments if they did, uh, because everybody pretty much was resoundingly in favor of a Worthy Album in the comments. So uh, they must have hidden their their uh, their EP opinion away. Uh, she's, got, remind- uh, she's got a couple. She's got two albums. Oh, yeah? Yeah. California Fade came out in 2011 and Anna came out in 2002. And then there's a couple of singles and EPs as well. So a lot, oh, okay. lots, a lot here to dig into. Um, if you would like to suggest a record that can be uh, a future poll entry, whether it wins or it gets a second chance like this one, all you have to do is go to digmeoutpodcast.com and go to the suggest an album link you can drop your suggestion in there write up a little uh note about why you're suggesting it and we will include it in one of our future polls they come out every month uh i think nine records every month for people to vote on at patreon which you can join us over at uh, mentioned dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com to support the union and support the podcast we have uh, multiple tiers and this new thing where you can just pay all up front so you don't have to get uh, drained every month of your, uh, of your $5 or your $2. Yeah. Uh, it's very confusing. Um, I, I'm still adjusting to it, but whatever. Uh, works. Tim, Tim, Tim's takes care of scheduling everybody's reviews. So I think his mind's melting right now. Yes. <laughs> uh, also uh, need to thank or need to um, mention the box newsletter comes out every weekend. Uh, new reviews of material of uh, albums, books, and movies relevant to 80s and 90s music uh, every week. Plus, we have our release calendar, which is well into 2001 now. There's already like a dozen records scheduled for 2001 that are relevant. Or sorry, 2001. 2021. Whoa, what? <laughs> 2021. The funny thing is I didn't even think about like. That didn't even sound wrong to me. I was like, oh, yeah, 2001. That's nice. Yeah, 2001. No, that was 20 years ago. Uh, yeah, uh, there's a whole bunch of records. They're new. Just announced uh, last, right before, not right before, but before we did this a couple of days, new Teenage Fan Club coming in 2021. 
There's going to be uh, the new Weezers coming out then. There's a whole bunch of uh, uh, new Foo Fighters. And um, yeah, a bunch of stuff already getting announced. Uh, a lot of them with, if you look at the artwork, clearly people have, have wanted to uh, expand their art uh for their album covers because there's a lot of very psychedelic looking records people have been have been um holed up in their re- in their recording studios in their homes taking some drugs let's let's just put it that I, way i was just going to say that i think we're going to get yeah next year a dump of records that were made in uh <laughs> people wearing uh, you know robes and crocs wandering around their house <laughs> robes and crocs Drinking lots of coffee and doing a lot of drugs and making a making a record. I think we're gonna get some mind some mind expanders. I I just I I need to pull it up because I there was like there were like six albums lined up and I was like, why are these all so bright? They're all so, <laughs> oh, there's like the Weezer album is like lightning. It looks I mean it's crazy. And then the Foo Fighters is like this mishmash of like neon and stuff. And then there's uh, the Melvins has a bunch of there's a new Melvins coming out in 2021. And it's got like all these colors. And and it's like if you look at them the way they're lined up in our in our. Um, yeah, it's just a lot of like pink and and purple and <laughs> neon blue. And it's like, what's going on? I'm trying to cheer you up, man. I guess. Or everybody's on, on hallucinogenics. <laughs> I think that could be the more likely answer. <laughs> that might be it. Um, so, uh, yeah, so sit, stay uh, informed with the Box Newsletter. And if you like what you heard, please consider leaving us some positive feedback at Apple Podcasts. So for Jay, I'm Tim. We're out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Dig Me Out. And I hear you wrote a song about